we're still uh, in Leviticus, obviously, and we'll be there for quite some time. <laughs> so uh, we'll be blazing through that. Uh, there'll be time. If you're comfortable reading, if, you'll, um, if you're comfortable reading, just raise your hand if that's something you're okay with. All right, good. A couple people there. I'm going to split the reading up just a little bit as we work through it. And I have it copied here, reading one through five. And then the sixth reading is a little bigger chunk than those. And uh, it will be something you will grab. Uh, it's also on the sheet. So the last person can just hand, put the sheets down and we can reuse them. But uh, working through the chunks, uh, you'll notice we're, I'm trying my best to read through Leviticus when we're doing this because it's helpful to hear God's word uh, read. And as we're walking through and understanding Leviticus, we want to be able to hear what the Bible says. I'm going to keep challenging you, I think. Tracy, you're the only one that's read through in one sitting besides myself. Of course, I better have done it if I'm going to ask other people to do it. I it, mean, I it well, well, I just thought you could sub anytime, so we're ready to go. She, if you have a question about Leviticus, do not ask me, but ask her because she has read through it. I'm going to keep challenging you. Get through the book of Leviticus. If you have two and a half hours or three cups of coffee, you can do this, okay? So this is, this is doable. I am not a fast reader. I'm not slow either, so I would say I fall right in the average range. And if you're average, you can read about 40 pages in an hour, and it's about 120, 160 pages. Yes, ma'am. Audible counts. There we go. The ladies are representing you bum men. Come on and step up to the plate, Jason. It's your wife is right there, right beside you, convicting you and encouraging you. I, don't, I think you can hit and kick him if he doesn't get to it by this week, you know. There you go. No, that's not, you're not disqualified. You're hearing it all in one sitting. So we're going to count that. It's not, I wouldn't say it's the easiest read, but you might be surprised when you read through it in one sitting, how it kind of makes more sense as you walk through it. I keep putting the Bible project, um, when I say chart or drawing up here, because it helps center us around where we're at. We're again, still at the top. Um, well, my right, it'd be your left. And we'll be there for a little while. So we'll finish up Tonight, we'll, be one, we'll go all the way through chapter 5, hopefully, and then 6 and 7 actually recap the offerings in relation to what the priest should do, and so we'll kind of walk through those. So we have a ways still to go on that first one, but you can at least see where we're at. And, and I want us to kind of view Leviticus as discovering a painting. Uh, we're unfolding maybe something that's not completely lost, but it is the least read book. I even talked to a preacher uh, been in the ministry for years, and they readily admitted that they skip Leviticus and Numbers if possible, and they're not going to read it. And, and actually, Leviticus is the least read book by the church, uh, which I talked about before, most read book by a Jewish child. That's the first one they're going to read and dive into. And so, though not completely lost, I think we could say unnoticed or hidden. And I want us to view it as a picture because we're going to slowly keep painting onto it so we get an idea and what we're trying to, to understand. And one author said this, and I quoted him a couple weeks ago, it's hard to understand the full scope of what Christ did if you don't understand Leviticus. And in all honesty, as we dive in and understand as the picture is revealed, our redemption comes into focus. And then what is the response is grateful worship. Gratitude is a huge part of worship. Uh, we are a culture that takes things for granted. There's expectations. We expect people to do what we want done. Honestly, uh, 
even in church ministry, you have um, interesting expectations that will unfold. Just this week, we had a family with expectations, presumptions about how and what we should do. And people aren't always pleasant and they express their unpleasantness in word and in email and whatever else. I use that because even in the context of ministry, we are presumptuous and we tend to just say it's owed to us. And what Leviticus does is it actually strips away this idea that God owes us something and and highlights the fact that he's given us redemption, that he's given us life. And Leviticus helps us grasp exactly how deep his sacrifice was and how amazing our redemption is. So if you remember, we walked through the first three offerings and there's an offering and I'll point it out. The burnt offering right there is one that crosses over and you're going to see it be a little central as we talk about the purification and what would be retribution, trespass, reprobation, however you want to look at it. Um, But the first three are burnt cereal and fellowship or peace offering. And what they had in common was when it was burnt, it was a sweet aroma to the Lord or a sweet savor. You're going to notice that when the fat is burned on purification and the other ones, it's also a sweet savor to the Lord, but that's not the central feature that is highlighted. So those three have that in common. Now the burnt offering was an atonement offering. You placed your hand on the animal. You are saying I'm giving quote unquote the sin that I've committed there. And that offering was burnt, thus the name, completely, right? Except for the skin, it's burned up. Now, when you dive into the next two, the link is broken. Now there's two offerings, purification or trespass, sin or trespass, purification and retribution. And I would say purification and retribution, or if you want to put it, cleaning and paying, go hand in hand, There's animal sacrificed. Atonement is again in view. And why I want to link all this together and say that is burnt offering is linked to the first three because it's a pleasing aroma. And burnt offering is also connected to the last two in that it deals with atonement. Thus, the sketch that you see here splits those up in that way. But see how central the burnt offering is. And we'll talk about it as we work through this. Now, We're coming full force. So we walk through atonement, burnt offering. I think Leviticus lists it first because it was first. I don't think they just were grouping together. I think God did that for a reason. And the burnt offering is foremost in mind. Morning and evening. Cereal offering, morning and evening. Fellowship offering, completely voluntary. It's a feast that you celebrate. It's, 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 it's rejoicing in God's presence. And it was very much cognitive of his presence. There's a feast. Now comes purification. And we're going to be looking again at two. And I put here, just because I can use two Ps, purification and payment is how we're working through this. And the first one we're going to dive into is the purification offering. In your Bible, it might say sin offering. In a lot of cases, it's going to say sin offering. However, I want you to realize that the word in Hebrew, and sin is not a bad translation. It's just a little more general than the implications are leaning towards. And in Hebrew, it's not a language that actually functions like ours or Greek. It has much more emotion built into it. Uh, One of the more beautiful languages, uh, some people argue one of the oldest languages, but it has an interesting nuance. So for me, studying language, Spanish, 
works like ours. Greek works like ours. Hebrews, wow, doesn't work like ours. There's like central words and the emotions build around it. Tenses are more moods. It's not like there's time. It's more feeling in there. It's, it's really beautiful when you think about poetry. And I hope to someday master Hebrews because I actually want to read Psalms in Hebrews and realize that it's going to be the beauty of the language is going to be there. But it, it carries. So the, the word sin, when we, we kind of just give a translation, is a little bit too narrow or not, maybe not narrow enough. It's just too simple. And the implication of the word is this idea of purification. It doesn't negate what it means. It symbolizes payment for sin. It shows purification from sin and purification because of sin. And one of the things you're going to want to keep in mind is that God does not dwell in sin. And so the purification offering, and it oftentimes becomes central in everyone's mind, and it's a very important offering because it is one of the offerings during the Day of Atonement, which makes sense because then the priest goes into the Holy of Holies, which we're going to read about in 16 and 17, and sprinkles blood on the mercy seat. You're going to notice in this evening, they're sprinkling blood on the veil that goes into the Holy of Holies. They're sprinkling blood on the incense altar depending on who has offended. And it's not because one person is more important than the other, but instead it shows that when a priest sin, who, by the way, represents God to the people and the people to God, then there's implications of cleansing that has to go all the way into the temple. When the congregation sins and the word assembly and congregation, we blend together. But the reality is it's speaking of the the leadership, think Sanhedrin, but not just the Sanhedrin, then you are going to see the same implication or depth of purification. When a tribal leader, a person who's over a certain group sins, there's a lot less in the sprinkling. And when I call a regular Joe, I don't know if there's a Joe, regular Joseph, how about that? In the, um, in the Israelite tribes with sin, there was the same level of use of the blood but you're going to see that tiered out. And that's the, the, the weight of the purification offering is in what you do with the blood and the implication that's there. Now, when an Israelite committed unintentional sins or neglected to do their normal obligations, they were required to bring a sin offering. And I use the word required because it was not voluntary. You had to do this. Of the offerings, peace offering is the only one you didn't have to do which was the party. So it's kind of like the one they always wanted to do. And so they didn't really need to be forced to do it. So we're going to kind of read through this and I'm going to comment as we go. So if you're willing to read, John, you said you're willing to read. Uh, you're going to start out with the first highlighted portion. Let me see if I can grab a microphone here. And the only reason you need to read in the mic is if someone does bother to watch this, and interestingly enough, some people do, um, they wouldn't be able to hear it. So if you want to pop up here or read from your seat, is fine too. You're just going to read the highlighted portion, verses 1 through 12. So we're in chapter 4, 1 through 12, looking at the purification offering. All right. Hello. Can you hear me? There we go. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak, speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any one of them. If it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. 
He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all of its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, and the rest of the bull, he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, to the ash heap, and shall burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. Touch base. We start out with an anointed priest. Most people believe it's the high priest who then sins. Some people think, well, when he sins doing his regular duty, I don't think that's accurate. And other commentators would agree or I would agree with other commentators that when the, whole, when the anointed priest sins, no matter where that is in his life, there is this very valuable offering that has to be given. You'll notice some commonalities and we'll walk through this, but you're going to notice one huge difference. One, there's the collection of some of the blood. It's not just splashed on the, on the burnt offering out here. It's not just splashed around it. I show you this picture just so you realize that they're entering into here seven times on the veil. They're smearing stuff on the incense altar and they're coming out here and, and putting stuff on the altar of burnt offering because that's where most of the burnt offering was done. And then the rest of the animal is removed from the camp and is then burnt. If you go to Hebrews, you're going to talk and see in Hebrews, and I did not sketch that verse down, so I'd be guessing Hebrews 3. I don't know. I would hate to be wrong. So just read all of Hebrews and you'll find it. Um, about Christ being sacrificed or crucified outside of the city, outside of the tent, and you start getting a picture of how he fulfills the purification offering. In all reality, and I'm going to tip my scales on what I'm going to talk about at the end a little bit, if I get to the end, is that when you look at the burnt offering and the purification offering and the retribution offering, you're going to see atonement in the most general sense. You're going to see cleansing. What does it say in Isaiah? I will make you as white as what? Snow, cleansing. But what are the wages of sin? Death. And what are wages? payment, which is retribution. So you're going to see these woven together. And I think it's magnificent that there's no one offering that quite can capture what Christ does for us. And so the Levite is going to see that. I'm getting the cart ahead of the horse kind of idea. Uh, David, you were ready to read. You're fine. So I'm going to go ahead and give you paper two, which is highlighted here. If you mind passing that back and go on there. Just read the highlighted portion. It's going to be uh, 13 through 21. Let me say this when he starts. Now we're going to deal with the congregation. So in the high priest sin, it, it is as if the whole nation has sinned when the congregation, which is now speaking of that overarching leadership. I say Sanhedrin. It's not because there's a Sanhedrin that didn't start then. It's just to give you an idea of it's a broad group of leadership 
It's not just the tribal leaders. You can see the word leader. It's not that the whole congregation does something, but the leadership as it represents all the people, those people, when they sin, then therefore have the same fallout or necessity that is needed. The difference is now an elder is going to bring the bull instead of the priest bringing the bull. And you think, who's doing the priestly duties if the high priest does that? That's the beauty of having sons that can step in and collect the blood and execute that. And you're going to see the sons ordained for ministry here uh, through Aaron. David, if you don't mind reading now 13 through 21, whatever's highlighted there. So Leviticus 4, starting with verse 13. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do any one of the things that the Lord's commandments ought to that by the Lord's commandments they ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meetings. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting, And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is in the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar Thus shall he do with the bull, with, yes, thus he shall do with the bull, as he did with the bull of the sin offering, so shall he do with this, and the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven, and he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it up, as he burned the first bull. It is the sin offering for the assembly. One question, does it look exactly the same as priest? And you see the word congregation and assembly, two different words, which we kind of lump together. It's the assembly, it's the congregation, and we can easily start thinking it's the same people, but it's not. It's the head leadership, then sinning, and the assembly, the people don't know, and it becomes aware. And so you see what unfolds there. Jason, if you don't mind now, 22 through 26 of chapter 4, working through that one. When a leader sins doing unintentionally any one of all the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And all its fat he shall burn on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. What's different about the animal? What changed? Bull to a goat. What happened with the blood sprinkling? There's a lot less to read, right, Jason, there? A lot less sprinkling of blood. What else do we not read happens here? Where does the rest of the animal go? Right, what did I say, Tom? 
No, actually you'll find out it ends up being for the priest's consumption. And this is just moving down the tier, not to elevate one person above the other, but to look at the priest and say, he represents God to the people, people to God. And so therefore the sense of his sin has to be atoned for in this way. Notice that those who represent the whole nation of Israel, the congregation, that leadership board, that again, uh, Yeah, just dive into the commentaries and you'll see a thousand different opinions there. Uh, But they kind of all land on the fact that it wasn't tribal leaders, but was instead people who were on overarching leadership. You might think of the elders that Moses selects to help judge the people. It's that level of leadership. So it might be selected from the tribes, but they don't function as somebody over just their tribe. So the difference is you are um, selected as a congressperson, tribal leader, and let's say maybe a senator would be more of an elder where it's out of the whole group representing it if we're using our politics uh, as a, and it's not the best (laughs) scenario, but either way, if we were to use that, that would explain it hopefully. And then you see the difference in the offering there. If someone doesn't mind reading 27 through 35, someone else you can read? All right, good, you're right next to here, and I've highlighted it there in the microphone. You get to flip a page. We'll keep going through some of the readings of what an individual. So now we've moved from high priest, congregation, tribal leader. Now we're working on what would be considered the common people or regular people. There's no green light. It's not on. Uh, if anyone of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him. He shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish for his sin, which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar, and all its fat he shall remove, as the fat is removed from the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord, and the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish, and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed and he shall be forgiven. Similar layout again. I want you to highlight something. Verse 32, what is the gender of the lamb that is offered? Female, which is unique because you don't always get to offer a female. That is on purpose because when you get to the retribution offering, it is not ha- does not have options. And actually there's other options we're going to see in 5, 1 through 13 that can be offered. But it's a female lamb because the retribution offering is a ram. It's a male lamb or grown um, sheep that is without blemish, and in the retribution offering, there are no options. So poverty and financial standing, economic standing, do not get weighed in. You're going to find, as we look at 5, 1 through 13, 
that that is something that is weighed in the balance there. And so as you grab 5, 1 through 13, I can, I can read it um, unless someone wants to run up here and take it from me. Anyone want to run up here and take it from me? <laughs> no one does. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have these all printed out with the, the thing on there. And if you're uh, able to do it, I'm reading one through whatever it is with the t- title. So moving forward, if you would like to read, enjoy reading, uh, um, Then grab a sheet, and when I call that out, if you can just read out, and that could be anyone grab one of these sheets and can read. I love hearing uh, God's people read God's Word, and that's a healthy thing as we're working through it. So uh, moving forward, I'll have that laid out a little better. And again, anyone can grab if you're comfortable. That way you don't feel like I'm putting you on the spot that you have to read. If you've already read, I expect you to keep grabbing sheets. So you just keep you out of luck there. If you've committed once, you've committed for life. Uh, five says, if anyone sins in that, he hears a public adjuration to testify and thought he is a witness. And I want you to realize here are a host of of sins that he's going to list here. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the other ones because purification is going to span quite the list. It's going to get us into 11 and 15. All the things that make you impure, you're going to take an offering for purification. And though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. In other words, if he sees something happen and doesn't say anything about it, he's going to bear that iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, which one becomes unclean and is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear and is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, sheep, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering and the priest shall make atonement for him for a sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar, it is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule, which is the rule for burnt offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring us his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it. Remember the cereal offering had oil and frankincense for it is a sin offering. And notice distinguishing features of offering. How do we know what we're doing? God has laid it out for them. They know exactly what's unfolding for them. And he shall bring it to the priest and the priest shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion and bring Burn this on the altar, on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest and the memorial portion, the rest the priest would keep. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any of these things. And he shall be forgiven and the remainder shall be for the priest as in the grain offering. And there's similarities and then there's differences done on purpose. I want to work through a few things and I want you to keep in mind cleansing. It is to cleanse you from unintentional sin or inadvertent sin and from sins of omission and then actually things that make you impure in their society, like all the touching of unclean things that they would know. There was a way 
to be made clean again, which if you remember the drawing, everything comes to impurity, which is often linked to death, which is often linked then to getting pure so that you can be in God's presence. Who and how often? This was a compulsory offering. That's what it needs to be done, required, but not offered as frequently as the burnt or cereal offering. It is for purification or cleansing and dealt with a variety of components. I'm going to give you some more just to keep the list overwhelming. Um, purification after childbirth, chapter 12, 6. Skin diseases, chapter 14, 19. Bodily discharge, chapter 15, verse 15. Unclean for a while without a chance to be cleansed. You name it. If you have any type of uncleanness, if you're dirty, if you're impure, you must be made clean so that you can be in God's presence or his presence can stay there. Obviously, you see why there's such a wide range of offerings uh, when a priest messes up and a congregation, it is a, the most expensive animal. And you see it goes all the way down to flour, which would be the cheapest offering. If you dedicated a priest, altar, or a Levite, if someone completed a Nazarite vow, they had to take the purification offering. You had to be cleansed. And so there's this idea of cleaning, this constant reminder of something. And if you're constantly having to offer a purification offering to be cleansed, what does that tell you about yourself? You're dirty. You're sinful. What do we tend to think about ourselves? I'm fine. <laughs> if I look out there and I see somebody else, I'm like, man, look at the world around me. How do we define dirty, right? Typically, just think about this for a second. How do you find sin? It's usually not what the church does. You are consumed with what the world does. Is the world a dirty place? You better believe it. Do they commit sins maybe in more abundance than we do? Well, I hope so. I hope it's more than us. I hope we're not equaling the world in that sense. But you see what would change for the Levite is that they were always reminded. And, and what is the world? And, and remember, how does philosophy work? Oh, God's constantly trying to beat people down, make them not good enough. They can't be their best you. They can't feel clean. They can never be enough for God. No, it's actually he helps them see reality. What is the reality of our existence? We need cleansing. We cannot walk into God's presence in this way. And it's not because God is a big, mean God. It's because God is what? Holy. That's why in Leviticus is quoted, and it's quoted in Peter, be holy for I am holy. That's why this offering does become very central to most people's thinking. Though if you're looking at the offerings, the burnt offering is going to be the one that kind of helps tie everything together. Um, the main focus was on different sins, not all of them listed, and not all the ones here seem like a sin, right? Giving birth, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that, but if you remember how the guys drew it out, giving birth connected us to death, right? Because whatever, whoever, whenever you're born, given unto man, uh, right, to be born and to die, and the sin nature is passed on, and so it's sin and impurity, and so it had to be taken care of. It's not villainizing childbirth. It's just us recognizing that we're born in sin. And I want you to see that the, Lev uh, the Levite, the Israelite, is going to understand this idea of being clean and coming into God's presence and recognizing that I don't say to God, I'm good enough. I don't set the standard for God. God sets the standard for me. And so 
all of this stuff comes out, sins, inadvertent sins, sins of omission. I put here unwitting sins or something known that needed to be done, but it slips out of your mind. Omission, right? What is the process? The process is very similar to the burnt offering. You bring your animal into the area that's here, right? You're going to come in north side coming in, and you're going to bring the offering over here. So pretend I'm down below. I put my hand on the offering. I kill the offering, and then things change because the remainder of the purification offering is completely different. And we've walked through it, so I'm going to skip ahead. Again, priest or congregation, you are sprinkling blood on the veil, on the incense altar, and on the altar of burnt offering. If it is a tribal leader, if it is a regular Israelite, then there's a lot less sprinkling. There's none going into the tent of meeting, and there's more on the altar of burnt offering and more uh, poured out there. What they do with the animal or flower differs depending on the offender, or I like to say worshiper, because this person is coming to God as an act of worship to get purified from sin. What is the meaning of this offering? And I've kind of walked all around it and mentioned it. A lot of people really zero in on the definition of the word sin offering, and they make this the most central offering with everything else kind of subservient to it. Uh, I'm sure you can pick up on my use of the word purification. I lean more towards this offering is about cleansing because that's what it's doing. They're purifying with the blood. And so I lean towards that idea of purification going here. Uh, It is how it is distinguished from the other atonement offerings. There are other ones, as we mentioned, burnt offering, purification offering, retribution offering, which we'll get to uh, in a little bit. Um, Nothing is taking away from its significance. Uh, I think that purification sharpens our focus and it zeroes us in on an aspect of what Christ did for us. This offering is cleansing from sin. And so I'm going to remind you again, it's always making us white as snow. We're cleaned. We're, We're made acceptable. And those are things we keep in mind. Why is this um, so critical is that sin is dirty and God's loving presence cannot be in the presence of sin. What does God do to sin? What is, what is poured out on sin? Wrath. In our churches and culture, and I'm not talking about people that stand up and scream about hell and, and try to scare people into heaven. That's, that's not biblical in in that context, but we tend to make sin cleaner than it is. And I kind of hinted at that, right? What do we, when we define sin, we rarely pick on the sin that we do to make it the dirtiest, right? You ever heard of the word acceptable sins? As a guy, Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins, he calls it. And it's confronting this idea because in the church, we have a host of sins that we find respectable. Or I like to use the word acceptable, right? We accept, not that we condone, we just don't see them correctly. We look at a murderer, right? And we say, they deserve to be in prison. They deserve their punishment. That is a sinner. We look at our anger and we Circum, circum, make it a circumstance, right? Situational. Well, I had a bad day. My kids are irritating. Every parent has said, I think at some point, right? And if you don't say that, you're a liar. Uh, <laughs> right? 
everything can, you know, they, I'm sick. I might give a short response back to somebody and it, it may be less kind than it should be. Do you see how I'm justifying what I've done? It, I could have been kinder. Or I could have just done the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing. But I used the word, it wasn't as kind as I should, should have done. You see how we quickly make acceptable sins because we see a little bit of dirt or our dirt and it's very acceptable to us. The Israelite is not going to see any dirt as acceptable. What do they have to do every time something like this comes up? Purification. It costs and it reminds them constantly. Now, you can be the world and look at God and say, what a strict God. Or you can look at this and realize how merciful and gracious God is because he set a system up for them to follow. And he wasn't just practicing till he got to Jesus, by the way. This is for a reason. It grows as you understand that we see how Christ cleanses us from sin. And it's something we're not to take for granted. As you combine the burnt offering, retribution, and the purification, you come to something that is fulfilled in Christ. We're reconciled, we're cleansed, and our debt has been paid. Now, this offering, the Israelite is going to connect again to the exchange of life linked to the animal. Now, that happens with the burnt offering, right? Why do you put your hand on it? Why do you have to kill it yourself? Why do you put your hand on the purification offering and kill it yourself? Why do you put your hand, it's going to be on the ram, and have to kill it yourself? Because you understand the sacrifice and something taking your place. I want you to realize something about the offerings. Burnt, and I'm comparing burnt with purification, retribution. Not a single one of them allowed you to be distant from your sin. Because there's something very real about putting your hand on a live animal and then taking its life, whatever way it was. I'm assuming they're slitting the throat, but I don't, I don't even, they don't know exactly what it is. There was a certain way, the word for kill there is actually sacrificial killing, and it was conducive to collecting the blood. That's all I know. But no way in any form were you distanced from your, your cost, the cost of sin and what goes on. You're going to notice that people brought based on position and finances from a bull to a goat or lamb to birds or even flower and not necessarily offered daily, but was required annually at the day of atonement, which we'll get into in chapter 16 and 17. And here's when the priest goes into the Holy of Holies. Was that a casual thing when he walked in there? They had bells on him. They had a rope tied to his leg. No one's going in after him. The bell stop, drag him out, anoint the next one, send him in. How about that to be second in charge? I wonder what he did wrong. He taught me what to do. Now I'm going in after him and he's dead. Oh, that's a great job. Hey, that's when your younger brother, you want him promoted, right? That's why I'm happy. I'm middle, you know. Got to burn through a few brothers before I get slated to go in there, you know. (laughs) Maybe they'll figure it out after some point. Now take that idea of cleansing. And I I like the pretty picture of white snow because that's how clean we are. It's supposed to depict how clean we are. But what happens when we think of snow? What do you think of with snow? On ski. Who skis? Anyone ever skied? Right? Who throws snowballs? 
I did. We took my, our kids up to Pikes Peak, and there's snow up there, and I could barely see because the altitude, and apparently, you know, the fact that I'm out of shape, my lungs only work so well, and then there's less oxygen. I had a pounding headache, but not so bad of a headache that I didn't get a snowball. And yes, I pegged Landon right in the face with it, so he would remember this experience for the rest of his life. I'm never going up Pikes Peak again because I'm sure I'll be uh, retributed for that one. Um, he should have known better. You know? um, all I have to say, snow always has a fun association with it. It has this idea of activity. It has a casualness to it. And so oftentimes we see cleansing as casual. When you think of cleansing from sin, think of the high priest walking into the Holy of Holies with bells on the end of his robe and a rope tied to his leg because if he stops making noise or dragging him out because he did something wrong. Cleansing and purification is serious. It was never something that was casual. I put, what is the takeaway here? And I want to, I'm going to zero in on that. Notice the seriousness of being cleansed. The Israelite worshiper would never have been casual about impurity, about the tainting of sin. As this offering makes clear, the reality of sin, and this is the real thing, it's incompatibility of being in God's presence. And what that means is that sin is not accepted by God. There is not good enough. There is not I'm okay. There is nothing that says I'm not dirty. The Israelite in their daily life, sometimes when I would read Leviticus when I was younger, I'd be like, man, being an Israelite was tough. Every second of every day, you're wondering what you're going to do wrong. And then you start realizing that God has painted a picture for them and they engaged in activity that reminded them that they needed him. They can't survive without God. Now, is that mean of God or is that merciful of God? giving them knowledge that they would not grab on their own. They, they've put it in. So the reality of being dirty, and I need you to, is God's wrath. God can't dwell in the presence of Israel when there's sin or dirt there. And so they were very motivated for the purification offering because they don't want God's wrath poured down. And it wasn't like they're waiting for God to swat their hand. They understood the implications of sin and that's why on the Day of Atonement, you're seeing them go through this rite of purification. Here's the question for us. Do we take cleansing seriously? Do we take the taint of sin seriously enough? Here's your measuring stick. How quick are we to excuse our acceptable sins? Which vary a bit by individual and by family. How many times have you given yourself an excuse for sin that didn't have you confronting that in your life? I've listed a couple, right? I lose my temper and say something. I'm unkind. I didn't sin with my anger. Well, I've heard people say this. Well, you don't have the responsibility I have. Okay. Last I checked, those with more responsibility were held to a higher standard. So there you go. That one just negates that right off the gate. You don't know what my life's like right now. You can't understand me. You're right. I can't understand you. But that doesn't excuse your sin. 
And we make excuses. So you want to know if you're casual about cleansing? How quick are you to make excuses about acceptable sins? And when you read through Leviticus, which you're going to do in one sitting, three cups of coffee or listen to it, and you're going to knock that out. This is important. It's a big part of your life now. It's on your radar before Thanksgiving. You're going to knock this out. You're going to see that God wasn't just being petty because he's never petty. Instead, God was being gracious and helping them never get casual about sin because that has eternal implications for them. Now, we're going to have very little bit time, and I'm going to try to do this, even though it might not work out, and I always can come back and visit it. From purification, we move now to this idea of um, retribution, and oftentimes you'll see it called a trespass offering. And so, Justin, I am going to call on you. I'm going to make you grab the mic here. You can read it from there. But you're going to read um, chapter 5, verse 14, through chapter 6, verse 7. And whatever, if you, you can probably read it out of you have there. Your Bible's fine at work. Or you can take a sheet, whatever you want. He'll take a sheet. Here you go. So you just start where it's not highlighted and finish it. <laughs> Keep going. This is dealing with the trespass offering. You're going to notice something, a lot less verses about trespass than there is about, uh, sorry, the, the retribution than there is about purification. But you're going to notice that it's dealing with this idea of satisfaction, paying a debt, paying back what you've stolen. It's chapter 5, verse 14 through chapter 6, verse 7. Go ahead, Justin. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord all his compensation, a ram without blemish of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for guilt offering. He shall also make a restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth of it, and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish of the flock, or its equivalent, for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbors, or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery, or what he got by oppression, or the deposit, that was committed to him or the thing lost that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that he may do and thereby become guilty. Is the, the guilt offering, the trespass offering, and it symbolizes restitution or satisfaction. Uh, it dealt with a specific sin. Either you are um, taking from God 
or you've taken from a fellow citizen. Um, the reparation was the distinct feature of this offering. You paid back what you took plus 20%. Now, you might look at this, and this is self-confessed. Um, if you were convicted of stealing something from a neighbor, if I took Eric's hat and then the congregation convicted me of that theft, I gave him two hats back. If I confessed the sin, I gave him a hat plus 20% of a hat back to him. And you'll notice the lesser degree, I just want you to see the practical side of God's law. He is encouraging you to confess and deal with something that you have taken or cheated. So if you look at 5, 14 through 16, it's when you cheat God of something and you know it. How would you cheat God of something? Well, you might take something from the priest's offering that was supposed to go to them. You offer to God and then the priest is going. You think, well, there's no way they could, they could take something for the priest. How many do we figure be, how many offerings a day? Tom, is it thousands? But there's a, two million people. How many offerings are taking place? Could you steal some uh, extra steak from the priest? And say, man, he's getting chunky. He doesn't need that. Let's just wipe that away. That'll be ours. We need a few extra ribs or extra steak. You could do it. You could not fulfill a vow to God. You could have vowed something and not walk in and fulfill it. And when you get to the point where you realize that's not right, you would go and you would be bringing a ram. Notice that there's no difference in offering. Ram, 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 ram. That's, that's what you're bringing. Notice that the ram is valued according to the sanctuary shekel. It's not some random lamb. It's not some cheap lamb. And oftentimes it would say you might even have to restore the lamb plus 20%. So there's a lot of discussion around why in the world it was weighed or valued to the um, shekel in the sanctuary, I think we can say that, that it's a certain type of ram and it's no variance for economic standing. When you have a trespass offering, you needed to step up. 14 through 16, you cheat God. 17 through 19, and it's very interesting wording. And uh, really what it is, is you're worried you cheated God. You don't know what you've done, but you feel guilty about something. And guess what? You could bring a ram and offer that, and the priest would make atonement. In other words, your conscience convicts you. You don't know what you've done. You don't know if you've done something. And guess what? God had a way for you to offer a trespass offering. Did the priest charge him reparations? Not really, because they didn't know what in the world they would have taken. And so the ram becomes the reparations there. Notice, I think, the kindness of God is sometimes we think, Maybe something has happened, I can't remember, and you think now, oh no, if I don't remember, then I'll never have this sin forgiven. Well, God's saying, no, if you feel guilty, you're pretty sure you did something wrong, but you don't know what it is, you had an opportunity to have atonement, forgiveness, pay the retribution. And then 6, 1 through 7 is not cheating God, now you're cheating your fellow man. I uh, put you cheat your neighbor or fellow citizen in one form or fashion. You find something that's there and you don't return it, you borrow something and say you didn't, you name it, it's all there. Here is the keys to this offering. Everyone brings a ram. Just remember that. Everyone, same offering. There is no allowance made for poverty. Only a ram would do. Key to this offering is the retribution portion of what's been cheated and then the increase of 20%. If you cheated God, tithe, property, commitment from man, a deposit that you lost, a deal won, and that's what they talk about. If, if you swindle your neighbor, if you snooker them, like, oh, I could buy this cheap on him. He doesn't know that ox is still good. And then you confess that because that was dishonest business. You would buy that ox plus 20%. 
no matter what it was, if you stole, if you oppressed and didn't pay a laborer, if you found someone else's property and didn't return it to them, uh, notice even if you didn't know if you're for sure guilty, you had an opportunity. Here is the action step I want to connect us to. Uh, this was a lot less than double if you were convicted. So I want you to see again God's practical side, if you want to say that. We sometimes think that religion doesn't have street level application. And I want you to see that God was orchestrating laws that made sense um, and that would help the nation of Israel confess a fault. There is a God who's realistic. We are what? Sinful and the likelihood that we would sin. And he has put a way for us to confess, which would be better than having to be convicted of it. Notice that this offering brought satisfaction through the paying of retribution. And that's where we talk about paying for sins. Here is the ransom concept of your redemption. Um, the Israelite would understand the cost, the idea of paying a debt caused by sin, a very physical reminder of this. I put here, do we adequately grasp the debt side of sin? If you talk to people about being sinful, they resist it. Because they say, I'm not sinful. You ever heard someone say, when I get to heaven, my good will outweigh my bad? Because they're assuming they started life from a position of what? Neutral. Balance. Exactly. This reminded the Israelite that when they were born, they weren't balanced. They were what? Sinful. And so your good can never outweigh your bad because you didn't get born neutral. There is no neutrality here. We're never redeemed from a neutral position. We're redeemed from owing God. And the trespass offering would have been a constant reminder of the need to be ransomed, to be bought back. Because the wages of sin is death, right? We cannot pay the price. We can't redeem ourselves, and so we need to be redeemed, and it just reminds us that we're not neutral. I have a whole bunch of things highlighted that I don't have time to do, so I'll do it uh, next week. One author kind of laid out all these offerings, and since we'll be redoing those, I'll dive into those uh, at the end. But let me paint the picture for you. You have the burnt offering where you're going to put your hand on this offering. It's going to be consumed completely, showing you the full payment and showing full dedication. What did the burnt offering remind us of? It reminded us that we were taking God's perspective about who we were. We're sinful and we need forgiveness. We need atonement and that we were going to commit everything. You're going to submit completely to the Lord. That's the component that we see there. There's a lot of people that have this idea of a casual commitment to God, but that's not commitment to God. The burnt offering eradicates that in the mind of the believer, mind, our mind. It is a complete commitment to him. It's a complete dedication. You have the purification offering, which reminds us of the need for cleansing. And so we look at the cleansing from sin and then the retribution offering, which reminds us of payment or ransom. And so as you walk through the New Testament, start looking for different ways that the gospel is presented and how God has, one, completely been the sacrifice, two, cleanse us from sin, and three, paid our debt. And we sing songs like this, but walk through your theology a little bit and you recognize you can understand salvation fully as you understand what God did 
for the Israelites and how they had to offer uh, to him the sacrifices. So hopefully we can make that application. And then two, uh, are we casual about being cleansed from sin and are we casual about the debt that sin causes? Thank you.